inescapable love puns. I'm dead. <laughs> we have to stop this podcast. Well, this book causes Satanism. What is left for us to rant about? There is nothing straight about Plum Velvet. <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. <laughs> Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. Let's talk about <laughs> Harry Potter! Hello, and welcome to The Gaily Prophet, a humorous yet ruthless podcast where two queer IRL witches read Harry Potter and talk about it. I am America's favorite Griffin dandy, Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Griffin Dyke Extraordinaire, Jesse Blount, and today we're talking about the first half of Chapter 24, Rita Skeeter's Scoop. And we are breaking this episode up again because a lot happens in this here chapter. I think that it's likely that we're going to be breaking up like two thirds of the chapters for the rest of this book. Uh, We'll see how that works moving forward. But if they're over 25 pages, we just absolutely cannot talk about the whole chapter in one episode. Yeah, it's kind of a lot, y'all. So, all right. Uh, In the first half of this chapter, um, now that the ball is over, it's time to work in that golden egg. Harry doesn't make any progress and refuses to ask anyone for help and refuses on principle to accept Cedric's advice. Anyway, that all kind of pales in comparison to Hagrid ghosting everyone when Rita Skeeter posts some Fox News level bullshit article outing Hagrid as part giant. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we're going to start this episode off with today's headlines. Hogwarts newest substitute is the butch cottagecore lesbian of all our dreams. <laughs> oh, yep. That's the most important takeaway of this chapter. <laughs> truly, truly. Yes. The the introduction of one Professor Grubbly Plank. Yep. Is her first name like Griselda? Do do we get her first name? Um, I don't know where we learn a maybe in book five or six whenever she comes back when hagrid and madame maxine are in the mountains maybe it's wilhelmina which means that she either goes by will or willie which is also extremely gay i love this information i feel like she definitely goes by willie yeah yes but reining this in for the appropriate section of the newspaper let's turn to the front page where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else um professor grubbly plank is definitely the most queer coded character we get maybe in this entire book more queer coded than hooch or just the same level well i mean we meet hooch in book one so like and we meet a lot of people in this book but oh in this book sorry in this, specifically in this book no that's all right and yeah it's like professor grubbly plank like stepped out of just like a lesbian camping trip mm-hmm. to teach these kids about unicorns yeah yeah uh she's probably like exes with like two of the powers professors i mean yeah <laughs> Um, it's really incredible. I also think it's really funny because I literally, like, two days ago finished re-editing episode one and, like, putting out a sound-leveled version and, like, whatever. Um, and we talked sort of briefly in that episode about the queer-coded teachers and the quote from you is that she's the gayest woman who just casually strolled her way into this book and then i'm like reading for today and i was like and here she is and that is spot on description i mean maybe i'm like i'm realizing maybe grubbly plank has just really really stood out to when i was 14 and read this book for the first time um because like when i was volunteering a lot of the older people who were volunteering were just like older butch lesbians. So it's like volunteering I'm like, where? Uh, uh, when I was volunteering and for I was doing like community garden stuff when I was in high school. Got it. Yeah, a bunch of people running it were just butch lesbians. So I'm just like I feel like I have a very clear idea of just like her like short salt and pepper hair that's like short on the sides and like her like muddy boots. 
It's just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. Super gay. It's super gay. Yeah. So. Yeah. And the fact that she is here to teach them about unicorns is just the icing on the gay cake. Truly. Yeah. My first <laughs> page note is <laughs> Harry and the Egg. Because I have <laughs> a whole little subsection <laughs> about Harry's relationship with this egg what how he's handling it most of the things in the front page could have been in editorials but then i would have had nothing in the front page so like it's a little bit ranty but that's fine it's all right starting with just the egg itself is the worst i hate i mean we've talked about this it just sounds so terrible and given that i find harry's technique quite odd of just listening to it the asking it questions, I'm like, okay, but you would think that, yeah, opening it under different circumstances might be step one, you know? What yeah. happens if I open this underwater or, you know, outside or something? Yeah. Yeah. I I actually have that. It's a little bit shocking that Harry doesn't ask Hermione about the egg because i know that he opens it like after the first task and everyone's like what does that sound yeah but and i think that like kind of in general like harry's doing okay trying to figure out about the egg but you're right like he could be doing a more like thorough like all right well this didn't work let's try like this thing and i feel like hermione would be excellent for that she would definitely have a checklist like she'd have like she would have created her own spreadsheet on parchment to be like we're gonna figure this shit out yeah and then as it relates to Cedric's hint, his Harry's reason for not taking the hint is ridiculous. <laughs> like, get over it. But he's correct that this hint is rubbish. Harry was like, hey, Cedric, it's dragons. And Cedric can't be like, hey, Harry, it's mermaids. Like, or even just, hey, Harry, open the egg underwater. Like, why does he have to be vague? That is rude. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Cedric felt weird about it, even though it, you're right. It would have made more sense to be like, Harry directly told you what it was. He wasn't like, you know, I'm trying, I can't even think of an analogy about how to be like vague about dragons. Harry was just like, I'm not trying to play games. It's, It's just dragons. Right. And I feel like, I don't know. Yeah. Cedric is being just like too, like weirdly cagey about it. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think this is like full reciprocity here. I don't think so either. I'm trying to remember what is the line in Mama's song in Chicago? They say that life is tit for tat. So I deserve a lot of tat for what I've got to give. That's what it is. I just don't think this is tit for tat. You know, I don't think Mama would approve of of the way that Cedric is handling this. Is right. What I'm trying to get at. Right. Yeah. He could have been like, "Open it underwater. Here's a password to the prefix bathroom. I'm out." You know. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. All right. That's the end of my um, Harry and the Egg section. <laughs> I love this. I love the song tie-in. <laughs> so, I'm a little surprised that Draco Malfoy is being so much more subdued about taunting Harry about the article by Hagrid. Like, he's not reading it out loud sarcastically. He's just like, here you go, Potter. <laughs> LOL. And I'm like, what's going on with you, bud? You're not, you're not being your, your normal annoying self. Huh. Interesting. Unless he was jealous that... Harry went to the ball with poverty. I think that, I mean, I I thought that he was quite dramatic about this. Like, he took the fucking time to, like, cut out a newspaper <laughs> clipping to dramatically pull out of his pocket. He sure did. I don't know. I think that maybe he just, like, wanted to watch Harry's face as he read it. Mm-hmm. That would make sense. You have to study your enemy, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I do think that there is, like, Hogwarts is going to tolerate him, like, reading aloud about Ron's dad getting in trouble, but are they going to tolerate him openly mocking a professor at the school? 
this might be a little more dicey of a situation for him in terms of like the extremely lax rules about bullying at this school. That's fair. I believe it does that. also specify that he's only teasing Harry when teachers are in earshot. So he's also clearly nervous. Maybe it's the ferret thing. Maybe. I mean, it could also be that like, since none of them have ever met Grubbly Plank, it's like you have no idea how they're going to respond to this kind of stuff in class, you know? True. Are they going to get someone like Snape or McGonagall who wouldn't tolerate it? Or are they going to get someone like, you know? Yeah, Hagrid or yeah. Flitwick. Yeah. Yeah. Grubbly Plank does not give the vibe that she's going to deal with bullshit. No, she so. That is definitely not her vibe. <laughs> her vibe is very no-nonsense. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. All right. Here's my last thing. Obviously, we're going to talk about how Rita Skeeter is terrible. But at this moment, I just... This woman knows how to write a headline. <laughs> this is such a good pun. I love it so much. I was actually thinking about what a good pun that headline was. I'm like, damn. <laughs> yeah, for if you didn't reread it, uh, the headline of her article is Dumbledore's Giant Mistake. Yeah. So funny. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the education section where we talk about this goddamn school. You know, I have to say that Poverty's assessment of care magical creatures, I think is like not incorrect. Oh no, she's 100% correct. Um, which like feels shitty to admit because obviously I love Hagrid as a person. Um, Hagrid as a teacher does leave much to be desired sometimes. And especially this whole like weird blasted Scrooge thing, which is like, not even a real animal they're ever going to encounter and they've spent like all year on it you know yeah yeah it's just it's just a nice little look at what other people that aren't harry potter and his gang are like just think of their classes where it's like why do i have to deal with this why can't why can't i learn all these cool things about unicorns that i can't even learn in the book yeah no i am shocked that anyone besides like Harry and Ron and I think reluctantly Hermione even keep signing up for these classes because Hagrid is really bad at her job. I don't I don't feel bad saying that. Like just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean that you're good at it. Teaching is a separate skill set from being good with animals. Like Yeah. You can be great with animals and not be a great teacher. And I think she could be a good teacher, but no one has fucking taught her how or like given her any clear expectations about what these kids should be learning and like you know someone should really have stepped in and been like hey Hagrid no one's going to be asking about blast ended scroots when these kids are taking their owls next year so you actually can't teach these these are the things that are going to be on the owls I need you to make sure that they're prepared for those yeah you know yeah. Okay. I will say though, I think I know why people keep setting up still for care of magical creatures. Okay. Is I don't think Hagrid decides homework. <laughs> Which as someone yeah. who's always had problem with homework, I would take this class every year, even if it did mean getting third degree burns from blasting its scroots and like ruining my favorite sweater because I fell in the mud because I was dragged by a scroot. It's because I don't have to do any homework. I only have to do six classes of homework and not seven or however the fuck many classes they take in a normal course of the year yep no you're totally right yeah so that that is one good thing that she has going for her is that but i guess if you want to know things about other animals if you're not like being like hermione and reading like 10 books about it you're probably going to be like i don't know shit about magical creatures whoops right exactly which uh does suck i think Yeah, especially if any of these kids would potentially be really stoked about magical creatures and want to have a job like Charlie's when they grow up, you know, they're not, I mean, they're not going to learn dragons anyway, but, you know, Charlie was coming to job applications with, like, I learned about all this shit, I know how to work with all these animals. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything else in this section? Um... I realize that my other thing is, I think hopefully in this section, which is 
Even Hermione admitted that she learned some things about unicorns. Mm-hmm. Which is like, I think, a sign that obviously Grubbly Plank is actually an excellent teacher because we know that Hermione's probably read five books on unicorns. And if she learned something she couldn't find in a book, that's actually an excellent sign. So it is really kind of a shame that Grubbly Plank only shows up as a sub. Yeah, the maybe one correct piece of information. Well, no, there's several correct pieces, but like one of the more important correct pieces of information that Rita has in her article is that Hagrid was given this job over more qualified candidates because if Grubbly Plank is available, it is just... I mean, it's nepotism, you know? Like, we love Hagrid, but this is nepotism, and this is ridiculous. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, and that's kind of like... I mean, I think that we can say that Dumbledore's nepotism hires, like Hagrid, like Snape, like... Maybe not half of the Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers, but, like... I mean, I guess it's sort of... He is kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel, maybe, <laughs> it seems like. True. But, I mean... Dumbledore just isn't a good headmaster in that regard. No. Because he's just like, like, he's not making decisions that are, like, good for the students. He's making decisions that are good for him and his, like, chess mastering. Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. Welcome to the politics section, where we talk about things that are fucked up. Okay, so I just want to start with giants a bit, if that's cool. Yeah. Okay, so we have Hermione starting off saying it's got to just be bigotry. It can't be possible. You know, this is just like with werewolves. It can't be possible that they're all terrible, you know. And then Ron just acting like she's delusional, you know, as if he's studied giants extensively and isn't just basing it off of, you know, whatever information he's passively absorbed from this bigoted society But then we get this information in the article where it's like they were with you-know-who, they participated in all these mass muggle killings. And again, I just, I just like never, I try so hard to imagine what was happening in the scoundrel's head when she's writing things like this. So she's like, Hagrid is great. Madame Maxime is great. Both of these people had giants as parents who had meaningful relationships with their muggle parents. Who knows if Madame Maxime's, uh, we're going to go with mother, was involved in her upbringing or not. They make these great kids, you know, and and then you never, you never show us again any evidence of this and i I mean we see grop and we we talked last time i think about grop and like the issues of you know i don't know what word i want to use here i mean i think that i feel like i'm I'm not sure the word i want to use either about like how to describe what is going on here um what i do suspect is that I wonder about the ways in which the giants are maybe doing all this stuff in response to the way that witches treat them. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to maybe talk about this in two different ways. So like mm-hmm. it, in one way, it's like witches have restricted the amount of like the like physical space that they have been living in. You know, so maybe there's a bunch more of them like closer together and like, you know, if and since they're like human enough for there to be people who are half giant, then it's like, so these like giant omnivores, you know, who are like confined to the mountains that witches can kind of hide them in. And like, mm-hmm. maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't like be murdering one another if they could just live their like maybe solitary giant lives you know that's what i had i had that question too is like is this why they like ward themselves almost into extinction is because of like territory restriction which again sounds like we're not talking about humans really you know what i mean yeah like and i think the thing of it also is is that there are examples of non-human animals doing similar things also 
And I'm thinking specifically about sea otters. I don't remember if you like ever read the thing about like male sea otters being like fucking jerks and like, you know, murdering other small mammals and then like having sex with their dead bodies. And people be like, what the fuck's going on with sea otters? But like that behavior of sea otter is really only in places where humans have encroached on their territory so much that they like only have a little amount of like natural space to live in and so Mm -hmm. it seems to only be a behavior of essentially stressed out sea otters doing this Mm -hmm. like really like fucking weird behavior you know yeah so and so i just so i think it like definitely makes sense to be like if witches treat them shitty and are like you know also going to war with giants and then like you know all of a sudden a bunch of giants are like crammed into one another like that fucking sucks you know yeah i agree and i think that it makes sense that the scoundrel would sort of assume like the worst of human behavior as like the default which i think is like consistent with european history maybe specifically is like i mean when there's yeah when there's like limited resources we're gonna war over them as opposed to learn like work on sharing them which is just something that i like have a really hard time like imagining which is why i'm always like i'm not like if if the apocalypse comes i'm like not trying to survive because like i will literally never shoot someone to protect my water so if they come to shoot me and i'm like let's share and they're like no i'll kill you i'm like okay well i guess that's that like i'm literally not doing that so it's like really hard for me just cognitively to like try to imagine that as as an outcome to like resource scarcity Mm -hmm. but i think it does make sense for someone and i think especially someone like british or like american to imagine that as like being how it goes yeah and i think especially white people yeah particularly because these are sort of this i feel like these i feel like this is the like they're just murdering one another it's sort of like the idea of like the inner city or like this is why gangs form and it's like that's not at all like that's a very like it's much more complex than that and a lot of it is also like there's like a other factors at work and like b it's like that sort of narrative is also like way exacerbated for in like white people's minds and like what actually ends up happening and like as someone who lives in a city that until very recently white people were afraid to come to it's like there's always been people who are like you know we're gonna share resources we're gonna like you know come together as a community because we've been abandoned by capitalism you know right so yeah exactly so yeah i guess it is sort of uncomfortable the way that the way that giants are described sort of feels like the way that like people of color have been described historically (laughs) yeah that makes sense i mean i was yeah i think i was thinking about it sort of like i think why i said like european is like I was thinking further back than even, like, America as we know it now existing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, people just sort of constantly being at war over, like, resources that they didn't even necessarily need was just sort of, like, all of, like, medieval European history was, like, that's all we do is we just, like, send our poor to, like, fight each other so that I can have that, like, river or, like, that better farmland or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, let me come conquer you for like shits and giggles and some of your resources and spices and exactly land and stuff. Yeah, but to the it making sense for them to join the Death Eaters, I think this is another place where I'm like, I th- I feel like intellectually I understand that people who have been who feel that yeah that have been left behind or like marginalized by society can be like tempted to that kind of fascist behavior if like they're offered things that they're being denied it's just another thing where i just like have such a hard time imagining what would drive someone to do that that it's just like really i'm like but if you know what it what being marginalized feels like like why would you 
go like perpetuate that same kind of harm on other people like that literally doesn't make any sense and i know that it does but like i can't get in that brain space you know what i mean yeah i think it's a like a level of rage that is just like beyond i think like intellectual thought is how Mm -hmm. i feel and also with like joining the death eaters it's the same as like the werewolves joining the death eaters it's like but if you read if you if you read their manifesto like you're not in there whatever they're promising you right now clearly at the end you're losing all of those benefits they're just using you like that's so obvious so like why would you and maybe with the giants they're like yeah but i like could literally kill all the death eaters so like whatever maybe yeah. i don't know yeah and i mean i don't know like maybe the death eaters were very convincing i mean like why do you, people who aren't you know rich white conservatives vote for conservatives when it's like they literally hate poor people and mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. everyone who's not a like cis heck rich, rich christian dude like right why would you support this and it's like oh you think that you're somehow immune or that you're gonna get something anyway or like what but it's like yeah never thought that the leopards would eat my face after supporting the face eating leopards party exactly yeah and i think that's basically what the death eaters like are like they're the like face eating leopards party and everyone's not everyone's like not my face surely right and I think I think you are right with the extra level of like, especially with the giants and the werewolves. They're probably just like, oh, I could take these witches, like whatever, if they get out of hand. Which, I mean, I think considering all of the fucked up shit that Voldemort does to himself, I'm like, mm, I think he actually <laughs> would kill all of the giants and the werewolves if he, once he had reached that pinnacle of power, and was like, I don't need y'all anymore. And I think he would do that. Yeah, I agree. So. Wow, this conversation was kind of all over the place. I hope I hope any of it is coherent. You know, I don't know. I think we made a lot of important points. I don't know how many of them apply to where we started, but like, whatever. Yeah. Maybe the conversation being incoherent speaks to the fact that the way that they are written, once again, is very confusing. It's very confusing. What is Fridwolfa, Hagrid's mom, like? Hagrid's dad loved her she consented presumably to like have a child with him and like raise the child with him for like at least a while so like what does it mean that she's this like terrifying force of evil you know Hagrid's dad sounds great (laughs) I just don't understand yeah I think part of it is a sort of feeling that I keep asking myself or like it's like a sort of a rhetorical question in my mind of a like has jkr met other people before because i feel like (laughs) the people in this book don't make choices that people actually make you know and it's like right because there had to have been something that brought hagan's mom and dad together you know for a while and i think i mean it does kind of seem like if you're an average size witch and a giant i think that like you know i think if a giant doesn't want to do what's happening they're just gonna fucking kill you so there was yeah so it's definitely like there was like some consensual things happening and yeah and i just feel like the way that we get descriptions of the giants in this book is kind of like they don't act like people but like they're people enough to be like they should be acting in ways or it's like yeah it's very confusing. Anyway, should we move on? Yeah. What do you have? Um, just my like annoyance at these that the unicorns care about gender so much. Which I mean, we get into whenever we talk about unicorns about how like that is kind of part of the lore, but not the way that they're presented here. And I'm kind of like scoundrel JKR and your bullshit. I'm shaking my fist, everyone, because it's just like. Why? Why do you gotta have? Wh- why do you gotta have the unicorn? You know, the unicorns feel this way about gender. Like, why? For what? Why does it bug you? I mean, it just is like. I think it bugs me because it's just kind of like, what purpose does it serve except for plot, which is to get Grubbly Plank away from Harry and Draco for this article, I guess. And that it's like, I just kind of just like, for what? I don't know. It doesn't bother me. That's fair. Yeah. 
I mean, obviously, I'm, like, sad that I probably wouldn't be able to pet a unicorn, but, like, I don't know. I think it's fine. I also think I feel grateful for it being in the book because it's our, like, hard and fast evidence of Hagrid's womanhood. And I that is true. give that up for anything. That's fair. That is very fair. I guess I just, like, at this point now, just sort of side-eye any kind of, like, firm gender rule stuff in this book because of how terrible JKR is, so. Yeah, I mean, a gender-related thing that I was very annoyed by with the unicorns is just the fact that it's somehow, like, disparagingly written that the girls got excited about seeing a fucking unicorn. It's like, many of the girls ooed at the sight of the unicorn. I'm like, A, only the girls? Like, what are the rest of you doing? And B, why is that written like it's a bad thing? They saw a fucking unicorn. Like, duh. Yeah. Who, yeah. who wouldn't? It's like beautiful unicorn. It's like glowing. It's so bright that the snow looks dull. Holy shit. This thing is so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I want someone, I want one of these boys to be losing their minds about seeing a fucking unicorn. Yeah, definitely. I feel like Neville is like, just like standing to the side so no one can see him just like weeping you know yeah i was literally just thinking i'm like neville is quietly freaking out about the unicorn because he doesn't want anyone to make fun of him for being into the unicorns yeah ron and malfoy teaming up to bully neville about liking unicorns yep all right so i feel like we get this thing that now reads a little bit like actually i'm gonna talk about this but i want to really quick preface it with talking about a uh, Tumblr post that someone sent us that was talking about how we all are sort of really gung-ho to like retroactively read a lot of bigotry into the Harry Potter series that might be like reaching at times because and basically the argument was that like this was written in the 90s it was written sort of pre-internet education you know and that there was a point where jk rowling was poised to go one of two ways and if things had gone a little bit differently like in a different timeline jk rowling is doing like really really good work like she was giving away so much of her money she really was like as far as like white liberal women go she was like doing a real good job and something happened she made a decision she ended up where she is now but she like that didn't have to happen it could have gone another way and that like the kind of like aggressive retconning of like bigotry into the books that people like us do is maybe less charitable than we should do because it makes it seem like people who aren't educated are irredeemable from jump whereas that's not necessarily true Mm -hmm. i think that's very interesting the person was very clearly not defending jk rowling at all but they Uh were like someone who's at the point that she was at where she's writing these books it's like they were kind of like she's trying and she could have ended up actually somewhere great she didn't but, like, a lot of the things that we point to and are like, this is evidence. It's like, maybe that wasn't the kind of evidence that it looks like, basically. Okay. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think that that is, I think that's actually pretty interesting. Because I think there are thing like, political things in these books that she does well. Which is, I think, why myself, as a young person reading this, was, like, deeply attracted to the series. Because they're right. just, like, they're still, like leftist things that like resonate like for example in this chapter the shittiness of like you know a large media source being so biased and ridiculous for no fucking reason against someone who is like has a marginalized identity you know and i think that the shittiness of like the government and about fascism in this in these series and like the way that the media you know, sort of just like could help but doesn't <sighs> is still so relevant in twenty twenty two. Maybe even more relevant. Maybe yeah. even more relevant. And so I definitely could see that person being like, yeah, there is a point where Scoundrel DKR could have 
Doctor Who reference, turned left, turned more left. Yeah. And instead turned right. Much, mm-hmm. way, way right, you know? And, I mean, I don't know what the change was. I mean, being rich, being a rich white lady in the UK, like, I'm, I don't fucking know, you know? But I also feel, though, that there's, since there's still this sort of, for example, underlying, you know, sexism and racism and anti-Semitism in these books that I don't, and, like, because of her being a shitty person, I feel like I don't feel particularly inclined to be, like generous mm-hmm. with her but i will agree that there are still like you know things that are on point and like still relevant lessons that like if you're a young person and you're still trying to figure out you know your own sort of ideals about the world that there are still some like really good like there's still some things in these books that's a really good intro point into being like being critical of the media being critical of the government those sort of things and then there's a lot of other things that just fall very flat. Yes. And I think that, obviously, I don't remember this exactly. I will try to find it and link to it in the show notes. I think that part of what they pointed to was, like, you can write something like this in whenever this was written, 1996 or whatever. This came out in, like, 98 or 99, I think. 2000. So you can write something like this in 2000. And then in even, let I mean, she started this one, 2018. You can hit 2018, all of a sudden you are like on the internet. The internet is full of so much information that in 2000 you had to like work to find. Mm -hmm. And you can be like, wow, I've learned so much. People have made these really good points to me. And like, I would not write that the same way now. You can talk about that. Um, A person that people talk about a lot who, who does that is Rick Riordan, who like very clearly learns from one book to the next. And like when he learns things, he takes responsibility for them. I don't keep super close tabs on what Rick Riordan is doing, but apparently he's like a real good dude. He has like lists on his websites of like specifically books with, you know, diverse characters, books written by people of color that he recommends that his readers read. I mean, he like wrote the Magnus Chase series, one of the main characters is Muslim and one of the main characters is non-binary. Like, there, there's a lot that he's doing, you know, that you wouldn't necessarily think from, like, the first Percy Jackson book. Like, oh, we're going to get there. Yeah. Uh, so it is possible to, like, learn and grow as a person. You can write these goblins, not realize that you're being anti-Semitic. Maybe, right? And then later be like, ooh, wow, I like really didn't examine how goblin tropes were rooted in anti-Semitism when I wrote that. That was not great. I wish I hadn't done it that way. And you can talk about that. Yeah. You know, you can like put articles about it on fucking Pottermore. Right. I mean, you could even, if you're still a juggernaut of children's publishing, even be like, actually, we're going to edit that. So in later editions, this comes off less fucking anti-Semitic, you know? Yeah, I think that's hard when you're not self-published, but I think it's probably not impossible, especially if you have a billion dollars. Yeah, I think it's not impossible. I feel like there's very few things that are impossible if you have a billion dollars. Yeah, exactly. It's from, you know, like you could just have a publishing company that just published the books and you're like, here are the corrections because that was fucked up, you know? Exactly. Yeah, and I think honestly, I think really, I think you really hit on something where it's like maybe the difference is are you viewing your life where you're like i am going to be a lifelong learner of being a person and being a person in this world that changes or are you going to be like i'm good i'm good i'm good as a person my views are fine like i don't need to learn anything new i'm like oh no i reject that Mm because that doesn't jive with like whatever i think i know about the world from when i was like a teen or a 20 or whatever, or my thirties or like whatever the fuck, you know? Right. And I think maybe much like Harry, I don't know how much JKR likes to learn about stuff, (laughs) (laughs) which is very funny. If she's like, if she's always like, Oh, well like her, I see myself the most in Hermione. I'm like, Hermione would never literally. Hermione never would have written the magic in North America. Bullshit. No. I mean, I think that's such a such a perfect thing to point to in terms of like she doesn't like learning. It's like she did five minutes of Wikipedia research and was like, "I'm good. I'm going to write this thing," and didn't ask anyone, didn't ask for any insight. And that was written at a time when 
the internet was is what it is now like the the information was so available and she chose not to access it yeah and that's that's a representation of like who she is now who she has chosen to be yeah all of this said i have no plans to stop being super critical of her (laughs) hell no (laughs) Uh, and i am now going to make the point that i paused myself from making previously to say all of that resuming where i left off um is that we get this thing in rita's article where she says hagrid is not as she has always pretended a pureblood wizard she is not in fact even pure human and this feels very like trans people owe you disclosure uh yes uh my immediate first thought was it also feels a little bit like conservatives being like obama's birth certificate you know (laughs) where it's like like you know i need proof of your validity as a person it's like Mm -hmm. oh no you don't fuck you right um but yeah and and i think that your reading of that in hindsight is just so telling yeah where like this is it's like where before you could be like oh she's pointing out the way that like fucked up like sensationalist conservative media talks about people but now it's like i think this is maybe how you feel about people that have marginalized identities that you think are somehow like quote unquote dangerous yeah it's very like hagrid's been like tricking everyone who knows her into like being friends with her which they would have chosen not to do had they known this information And this again points to just like how confused I think she was when she was writing all this, because you're right. Like this is written by Rita Skeeter, someone we're supposed to think of as a villain. Uh, It's part of, you know, this like overarching villainy of the media. But at the same time, JK Rowling never presents us with a solid argument that giants aren't as terrifying as Rita Skeeter is making them out to be in this article. And it's like, you have to finish the sentence You know, it's like all of her allegorical sentences just trail off with her favorite (laughs) punctuation mark, the ellipse, ellipses. Oh, it sure does. You're right. (laughs) Just just left being like, please, where's the end of the sentence? It's like, yeah, could you could you actually finish this thought maybe to the like (laughs) to the conclusion I maybe you could go to as opposed to being like. Yeah, because then we fill it in, and then we're filling it in much less charitably. Because <laughs> yeah. um, I, th- I think you're right. Because even when we meet Grop, it is we we don't nec- we don't necessarily get proof that like Grop isn't somehow inherently dangerous. No, and I mean the danger that we see from Grop seems to be sort of like, what if it's toddler but sixteen feet tall? And you're like, yeah, that would be a pretty fucking destructive force. But if all giants are toddlers then no one should be having babies with them who's not also a giant (laughs) right exactly happening yeah yeah it's like it's like the thought of the world building wasn't followed through in a way that like makes sense (sighs) okay what's next i have one thing about disability and then i don't know how much you actually want to talk about the stuff that comes up in rita's article I think I feel less strongly about it since we've been having a much more interestingly, much more interesting conversation in this section. So whatever feels like good. And I feel like we've, we've talked a lot about the media as part of the other conversations that we've had. So. All right. I mean, yeah, everyone read his article just is showing the ways in which media can be fucking biased and terrible and inflammatory in a way that I think we're all familiar with in 2022, seeing it played out IRL in the media to the detriment of the United States and the UK <laughs> in a way that is very horrifying. Yeah. So we're, so we're not going to, ha- we're not going to rehash that. Um, except for, sorry, going back to your conversation about it feeling very transphobic, the way in which Hagrid's heritage is talked about. This article ends with a basically won't someone think of the children. Oh, I know. Uh, which is as we, uh, Oh God, just, just gross. So gross in hindsight. It is the conservatives' favorite argument. Yeah, and especially, which I find especially terrible because I think, I feel like conservatives don't think of children as people. I was, 
and I so I think that like that's and treating children not as whole people with their own thoughts and identities and views is fucked up and often mm-hmm. abusive. And so the like, won't someone think of the children that the conservatives with the tote is like, you're you're the one out here trying to control your kids and everyone else's kids like gender, like like come like come on y'all. Yeah. In fact, think less of the children. Actually, conservatives, please. <laughs> yeah. It's um, it's really wild. Mm. Like the the way that um, that argument is weaponized to do such incredible harm just over and over and over again. Right. As if you could like somehow stop children from, say, being queer or trans. Like you're not going to stop that. You're just going to harm them on the way to like, like it's just fucking harmful as shit. Yeah. Like if, if only I had the language to figure out my like, you know, sexual identity when I was like 13. And I like new queer people in the 90s. It's yeah. <laughs> a wild thing. So I don't know. Just. All right. Yeah. Are you ready for one last depressing thing? <laughs> uh, well, I have one more. Okay, cool. Hopefully brief thing. Hermione's like, that was a great lesson. And Harry's like, how dare you? And the it says Hermione quailed under Harry's furious stare. And this is um, a not uncommon thing that we see in the book that Hermione is afraid of Harry, and I hate it. Hermione gets yelled at so much by her friends. If you have friends that yell at you this much that you're afraid of them, don't be friends with them anymore. No. Let them let them fucking die in the fucking second task and the third task. Fuck it. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Go, go be friends with Neville. Please. Yes. All right. What is your final depressing thing? All right. So um, we get dialogue from both Ron and Draco that assume where they were like, oh, I thought Hagrid had some kind of like magical accident. Mm-hmm. Where he's like hit by a charm or like drink a bottle of Skelligro. Is that one yeah. of them? And, and so this suggests that in witching society, they are aware that you could have magical accidents that like change your appearance, that change mm-hmm. your body. So to follow that, it begs the question of where are the people who have had accidents like this? Like, up until this point, Hagrid is the only half-giant-sized person we've met until we meet Madame Maxine. And we find out it's not from a spell accident. She's just half-giant. That's how big half-giants get. Mm-hmm. And Scoundrel JKR has said that, like, there is a quote-unquote disability in these worlds and... Which has unfortunately led to her saying some very funny shit about autistic people. Girl, stay in your fuck. Just shut up. Just delete your fucking Twitter. And so, but textually, I'm like, so if we don't see people who have had body changing accidents, it's like, are they just like hidden away? Because clearly we have textual and a textual example that like people can have accidents that we can maybe say disable them, but like change their body in a way that makes that is like not what witches think as the norm. Right. And so I really think this is an example of her telling on herself about being like, those people exist. We just don't see, Harry doesn't see them. They're not here mm-hmm. at Hogwarts. So they're like hidden away. I mean, we also kind of get this with Dumbledore's Ariana, mm-hmm. you know, who is also sort of hidden away after being sexually assaulted and like having this like other like fuck up trauma happen to her. So yeah. Yeah. I want, I think once again, this actually fits. It's like, you know, uh, I'm just following these threads to the uh, to a logical conclusion that it's like, oh, JKR, you, there was always a lot of fucked up shit in these fucking books. Yeah. You know? And the fact that both Draco and Ron are like, it was fine when I thought that you had an accident, but now that I know that you're half giant, it just totally just changes the way that I'm like, what? Yeah. I mean, Draco's a little bigot. He's a baby bigot. So, like, of course he's going to be like, ugh. But it's like, Ron, you know Hagrid. Right. Like, you fucking know her. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I've had, I've had in the last <laughs> couple of weeks, like, you know, the end of the Grinch, it's like the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. I have had the opposite experience with the way that I feel about Ron Weasley in the last couple <laughs> chapters. Like my the space inside of me that I had for Ron Weasley is shriveling. <laughs> it is a dying plant. 
um, that I don't feel any inclination to attempt to revive. Like, I mean, that's fair. As of right now, like Ron's going to have to water this plant himself. And if he doesn't get on it, the plant's going to be dead forever. Sorry, listeners who love Ron. That's that's where I'm that's where I'm landing right now. But as we discussed in last episode, there's a lot of Ron characters you can identify with who don't suck. Yeah. Welcome to Advertisements, where we talk about ways you can support this podcast. Um, I tried but failed to come up with a witty ad today. There was nothing in this chapter to inspire a witty <laughs> ad. Although I feel like maybe now I could have done one for like a legit newspaper, but that would probably just feel depressing. But of course, I do still, I think we should still take a moment to ask folks to join our Patreon if you possibly can. Um, and if you can't, like tell your friends, spread the word on social media, leave us a review, whatever you can do to help us reach our goal of $6,666 a month. (laughs) Another most magical number. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Yeah. And I do have it to set to be and 66 cents so that it's three sets of 666s. Hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You you too have the power to stop us from asking for money uh, so intently. For just 50 cents a day. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) 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 Welcome to editorials where we rant about stuff. Uh, Ron has like five lines in this chapter total and he still manages to be an asshole. Yeah. (laughs) He sure does. Um... Because, yeah, I mean, Hermione calls him out on the bigotry against Hagrid. And he just doubles down on it. He's like, literally read the room. Yeah. Again, you literally know Hagrid. You've known her for four years. Yeah. Just like, what an asshole. (laughs) I know. I was also super annoyed by uh, the part where it's like Ron and Hermione seem to have reached an unspoken agreement to not discuss their argument and I underlined the word there like three times because this was Ron's argument Hermione was just there and I am see this is what this is my problem it's like they just tolerate his behavior this should not be a silent unspoken agreement to just tolerate Ron's bad behavior he needs to apologize meaningfully no you're you're you are correct and i think just uh ignoring what has happened is not great either i mean Mm -hmm. i'm always pro communicating when it's like actually we should talk about this because you deeply hurt my feelings and i and for like for what Mm -hmm. you didn't ask me to the ball and all of a sudden you're gonna yell at me for my choices when you could have asked, you literally could have asked me the moment we heard about this ball. I spend almost all my free time with you when I could be spending with people who actually fucking like me. Mm-hmm. It's your turn. I am deeply annoyed that we don't know what the magical properties of unicorns are. Like, I mean, obviously we know that you can use their, their hair and wands. Mm-hmm. And if you drink your, their blood, you're fucking cursed. But also it'll re- restore you. From... And it'll restore you to like a cursed half-life. Mm-hmm. But I'm just like, but I want to know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, Hermione's even like, oh, wow, even I learned something. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> they use powdered unicorn horn and potions at least once. Yeah. I wonder what it does. And it's just like one of those like details where it's just like... Scoundrel got checked. Yard just didn't probably feel like writing what it was, and it's like, well, Harry doesn't know, and I'm like, Harry just doesn't know so many. Like the amount of things that Harry doesn't know could literally fill a book, <laughs> and it's just very frustrating to me. Yeah. Like, what if that could have been useful for Harry in his future of having to fight Voldemort? Yeah, it's like Harry, like you were just you were really prepared for like the kind of bullshit that you live through, <laughs> and it's like kind of frustrating. <laughs> Yeah. I just... Harry's like, wow, poverty's being so cold to me now after the ball, even though she just, like, was hanging out with the, like, 
kids room Bobaton. it's like you deserve it you're <laughs> you're such a dick to her <laughs> like yeah she's gonna give you the cold shoulder yeah I wrote because he's like, I guess I should I should have paid a little more attention to her. And I was just like, me, 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 me. <laughs> That's how it makes me feel. It's just like, Harry, oh my God. I know. Sir, what the fuck? <laughs> I know. Um, all right. I want to close this out by like piggybacking on the unicorn properties thing uh, to talk about something that I learned somewhat recently, which is that. Every single one of the, like, gross witchcraft ingredients that we know about from, like, lore, Shakespeare, yeah. just forever, they're all yeah. plants. Every single one. They are all code names for plants. No one has ever used an eye of a newt in a witchcraft. It's another word for mustard seed. What? Every single Whoa. one is a plant. Oh my god, you're blowing my mind! I How did I know. not know this? I, I think it's so incredible. And like my first thought was like, God, if J.K. Rowling had done the research to learn this, these books would be so much less gross. <laughs> you know, that, that really makes sense because I feel like needs are so teeny. Like, how are you... Like, what would you even use? Like, right? Yeah. But a mustard seed. Makes so much sense. Yep. Oh my god. Here. Let me pull this up. This is an excellent way to end this episode. I know. I know. I was like so excited. (laughs) There's been very little laughter in this episode. I know. All right. Here it is. Here's this line from uh, Macbeth. Fillet of a fenny snake in the cauldron boil and bake. Eye of newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog. Adder's fork and blind worm sting, lizard's leg and owlet's wing. For a charm of powerful treble, like a hell broth boil and bubble. Okay. Mm. Eye of newt is a mustard seed. Toe of frog is a buttercup. Wool of bat is holly leaves, which makes so much sense. They look like bat wings. They do! Tongue of dog is hound's tongue. Adder's fork is adder's tongue. So, I think, and I think they were used as, like, code. This says potentially to deter other people from practicing witchcraft. I think there's lots of different theories about why they did it, but, yeah. But, yeah, it's all fucking plants. Also, thank you, TikTok. And then I, like, read all about it because my new my new policy is that I never cite something that i learned on tiktok without verifying it on the internet because people are full of shit um but also when you do that you learn a lot more than someone can tell you in a 30 second tiktok video so this what a, what an excellent policy also my mind my mind is still blown isn't uh, it incredible sorry i'm just like imagining where it's like someone is like pull shakespeare aside to be like okay bro you can't actually tell people how to like make <laughs> This like witch potion. Um, so you really can you like be a little bit more creative about that? Can you give it some? Can you zhuzh it up? And he's like, yeah, sure. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's easier um, to make it rhyme that way. What rhymes with mustard seed? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I mean mustard seed doesn't sound very cool and spooky, but like I have newt. You right. come across like three ladies in the woods in front of a cauldron, and you're like, "Yep, that is atmospheric." You're, I am, I am. <laughs> I believe you are not of this world, <laughs> as opposed to some ladies making a spicy mustard or something. Yeah. Where it's like... <laughs> uh, yeah, it's all about the aesthetics. I feel like holly is poison, so don't put holly in your mustard. <laughs> well, it depends on the the uh, the purpose of your potion. Oh, yeah. I think. <laughs> If you're trying to kill your terrible husband, then in fact, put Holly in your poster. <laughs> yes. And also, yeah, again, these books will be so much more vegan friendly and also just less disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> and it would also answer the question about where they're sourced the materials. If it was just sh- shit that Sprout was growing in the greenhouse, then you're not like, where are they getting a barrel of armadillo spleens that just doesn't make any sense <laughs> yep, exactly 
All right. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Gaily Prophet. This podcast and our other podcasts, Escape from Reality, where we talk about the Simon Snow series by Rainbow Rowell, our creations of Hashtag Ruthless Productions, and are produced, mixed, and edited by me. Uh, yeah, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Gaily Prophet, which you should. You could also share the awesome memes that Lark creates and uh, any of the random things I'm, re- I'm retweeting on our Twitter. <laughs> um, you can also rate and review us on iTunes. It helps folks find us. And the more folks that find us, the more people can uh, donate to our Patreon. We can stop talking about it. Uh, yeah. You can also go to our website to listen to episodes. Uh, check out our merch section. If you want to find me on the internet, my website is larkmalachi.com and I'm on Instagram at larkmalachi. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at jesse underscore Detroit or on Instagram at live from Detroit. Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester. The music and our theme song is by Kevin McLeod. And until next time. Rita, delete your Twitter. <laughs> <laughs>